We continue with Donald J. Trump petitioner, the Norma Anderson et al. respondents. Petition for writ of certiorari. Picking up on page 18. Reasons for granting the petition. The Colorado Supreme Court has no authority to deny President Trump access to the ballot. By doing so, the Colorado Supreme Court has usurped congressional authority and misinterpreted and misapplied the text of Section 3. 1. The issues presented in this petition are of exceptional importance and urgently require this Court's prompt resolution. The questions presented in this petition are of the utmost importance. President Trump is the leading candidate for the nomination for President of the United States of one of two major political parties. In 2020, President Trump received more than 74 million votes nationally and more than 1.3 million votes in Colorado alone to be re-elected as President of the United States. Thus, the Colorado Supreme Court decision would unconstitutionally disenfranchise millions of voters in Colorado and likely be used as a template to disenfranchise tens of millions of voters nationwide. Indeed, the Maine Secretary of State, in an administrative proceeding, has already used Colorado proceedings as justification for unlawfully striking President Trump from that state's ballot. President Trump has appealed that decision. 2. Disputed questions of presidential qualifications are reserved for Congress to resolve. Not all claims are properly suited for resolution by the courts. Sometimes the law is that the judicial department has no business entertaining the claim of unlawfulness, because the question is entrusted to one of the political branches or involves no judicially enforceable rights. This presents just such a case. Congress, not a state court, is the proper body to resolve questions concerning a presidential candidate's eligibility. First, the Constitution provides a role for Congress in resolving disputed presidential elections. To it, the Constitution expressly provides that If the President-elect shall have failed to qualify, then the Vice-President-elect shall act as President until a President shall have qualified, and the Congress may by law provide for the case wherein neither a President-elect nor a Vice-President-elect shall have qualified, declaring who shall then act as President or the manner in which one who is to act shall be selected, and such person shall act accordingly until a president or vice president shall have qualified. Similarly, both Article II and the Twelfth Amendment prescribe a role for Congress in presidential elections, and the Fourteenth Amendment itself embodies a clear textual commitment of authority to Congress with Section 3 giving it the power to lift any disability under that section, and Section 5 expressly providing that Congress shall have the power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, 
the provisions of this article. There is no similar commitment of questions concerning presidential eligibility to state courts, particularly in the absence of a duly enacted enforcement statute. Considering the constitutional role for Congress in addressing presidential qualifications, it is little surprise that every court except Colorado that has addressed the political question doctrine when presented with the question of determining President Trump's eligibility has held that question is non-justiciable and reserved to Congress. Indeed, every federal court that addressed this issue with regard to the eligibility of President Barack Obama, Senator John McCain, and Senator Ted Cruz held that the issue was for Congress and not the federal courts. It would be beyond absurd, particularly in light of the 14th Amendment's enlargement of federal authority, that this issue would be non-justiciable by federal courts yet properly heard and decided by courts in 51 jurisdictions. The election of the President of the United States is a national matter, with national implications, that arises solely under the federal constitution and does not implicate the inherent or retained authority of the states. Even if Section 3 does not require enforcement legislation to have effect, the lack of such legislation deprives the courts of judicially manageable standards. Procedurally, Section 3 is silent on whether a jury, judge, or lone state election official makes factual determination and is likewise silent on the appropriate standard of review, creating the prospect of some courts adopting a preponderance of the evidence standard, others a clear and convincing evidence standard, while still others requiring a criminal conviction. Similarly, states have different approaches to voter standing. As a result, a voter in one state may be able to challenge a presidential candidate's qualifications, while similarly situated voters in another state cannot. Substantively, the terms engage and insurrection are unclear and subject to wildly varying standards. The result is that 51 different jurisdictions may, and have, adopted diverging rulings based on different standards on the same set of operative facts. Resolving these conflicts requires making policy choices among competing policy and political values. These are fundamentally legislative exercises that are properly suited for congressional rather than judicial resolution. Moreover, the result of divergent standards and determinations is particularly problematic in presidential elections. As this court has recognized, in the context of a presidential election, state-imposed restrictions implicate a uniquely important national interest because the president and the vice president of the United States are the only elected officials who represent all the voters in the nation, and the impact of the votes cast in each state is affected by the votes cast for the various candidates in other states. By purporting to determine a presidential candidate's qualification under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, 
the Colorado Supreme Court has overstepped its authority and usurped power properly allocated to Congress. 3. Section 3 is inapplicable to President Trump. Section 3 begins, No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state. It does not list the presidency. Moreover, it lists offices in descending order, beginning with the highest federal officers and progressing to the catch-all term, any office, civil or military, under the United States. Thus, to find that Section 3 includes the presidency, one must conclude that the drafters decided to bury the most visible and prominent national office in a catch-all term that includes low-ranking military officers, while choosing to explicitly reference presidential electors. This reading defies common sense and is not correct. Similarly, Section 3's disqualification can apply only to those who have previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislature, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States. It is undisputed that President Trump never took such an oath as a member of Congress, as a state legislator, or as a state executive or judicial officer. Lastly, Section 3 cannot apply to President Trump unless the president qualifies as an officer of the United States. The Constitution's text and structure make clear that the president is not an officer of the United States. The phrase officer of the United States appears in three constitutional provisions apart from Section 3, and in each of these constitutional provisions, the president is excluded from the meaning of this phrase. The Appointments Clause requires the president to appoint ambassadors, public ministers, and consuls, justices of the Supreme Court, and all other officers of the United States whose appointments are not herein otherwise provided for, and which shall be established by law. The Commission's Clause similarly requires the President to commission all the officers of the United States. The President does not and cannot appoint or commission himself, and he cannot qualify as an officer of the United States when the Constitution draws a clear distinction between the officers of the United States and the President who appoints and commissions them. The Impeachment Clause further confirms that the President is not an officer of the United States. It states, The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The clause treats president and vice president separately from all civil officers of the United States. There would be no basis to separately list the president and vice president as permissible targets of impeachment 
if they were to fall within the civil officers of the United States. If that phrase were to encompass the president and vice president, then the impeachment clause would say that the president, vice president, and all other civil officers of the United States are subject to impeachment and removal. Then, there is the textual requirement that Section 3 applies only to those who took an oath to support the Constitution of the United States, the oath required by Article 6. The President swears a different oath set forth in Article 2, in which he promises to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States, and in which the word support is nowhere to be found. The argument that an oath to preserve, protect, and defend is just another way of promising to support the Constitution fails because the drafters of Section 3 had before them both Article 6 and Article 2 oaths, and they chose to apply Section 3 only to those who took Article 6 oaths. Conflating the two oaths would create ambiguity and contradiction, because the president was not understood to be included as an officer of the United States. The Colorado Supreme Court made no attempt to explain how officers of the United States can include the president when this phrase excludes the president everywhere else it appears in the Constitution. The court should grant certiorari and hold Section 3 inapplicable to President Trump, because he never swore an oath as an officer of the United States. 4. President Trump did not engage in insurrection. The court should also reverse the Colorado Supreme Court's holding that President Trump engaged in insurrection. First, the events of January 6, 2021 were not insurrection as that term is used in Section 3. Insurrection, as understood at the time of the passage of the 14th Amendment, meant the taking up of arms and waging war upon the United States. When considered in the context of the time, this makes sense. The United States had undergone a horrific civil war in which over 600,000 combatants died, and the very survival of the nation was in doubt. Focusing on war-making was the logical result. By contrast, the United States has a long history of political protests that have turned violent. In the summer of 2020 alone, violent protesters targeted the federal courthouse in Portland, Oregon, for over 50 days, repeatedly assaulted federal officers and set fire to the courthouse, all in support of a purported political agenda opposed to the authority of the United States. In the context of the history of violent American political protests, January 6th was not insurrection, and thus no justification for invoking Section 3. Moreover, nothing that President Trump did engaged in insurrection. President Trump never told his supporters to enter the Capitol, either in his speech, at the Ellipse, or in any of his statements or communications before or during the events at the Capitol. To the contrary, 
His only explicit instructions called for protesting peacefully and patriotically to support our Capitol Police and law enforcement to stay peaceful and to remain peaceful. The Colorado Supreme Court faulted President Trump for not responding, in their view, with alacrity when he learned that the Capitol had been breached. Even, however, the Colorado Supreme Court conceded that not acting does not constitute engagement in insurrection. The court should also review and reverse the Colorado Supreme Court's holding that President Trump's speech could be constitutionally proscribed incitement under Brandenburg v. Ohio, 1969. The state Supreme Court relied on Professor Simi's testimony and deferred to the district court's fact-finding in wrongfully holding that President Trump had encouraged violence and that his words were likely to have that effect. But constitutional speech protections should not turn on opinions from sociology professors, and constitutional facts of this sort should be reviewed de novo rather than deferentially. 5. The Colorado Supreme Court violated the Elector's Clause by flouting the statutes governing presidential elections. The Elector's Clause requires states to appoint presidential electors in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct. The Colorado Supreme Court's ruling violates the Elector's Clause in two respects. First, the Colorado legislature allows the state judiciary to intervene in ballot disputes only when a person charged with a duty under the Colorado Election Code has committed or is about to commit a breach or neglect of duty or other wrongful act. Secretary Griswold cannot breach or neglect any duty or commit a wrongful act under the 14th Amendment by listing President Trump on the ballot, because Section 3 merely bars individuals from holding office, not from seeking or winning election to office. The Colorado Supreme Court tried to concoct a wrongful act by claiming that Secretary Griswold would violate Section 1-4-12032A, a provision of state election law, by certifying President Trump to the ballot. But Section 1-4-12032A limits only the political parties that may participate in Colorado's presidential primary election and requires only that participating political parties have at least one qualified candidate. Each political party that has a qualified candidate entitled to participate in the presidential primary election pursuant to this section, is entitled to participate in the Colorado presidential primary election. The Colorado Supreme Court somehow managed to transform this statutory language into a requirement that every candidate that appears on a presidential primary ballot be qualified, and it falsely claimed that Secretary Griswold would violate Section 1-4 Dash 12032A if she failed to remove disqualified presidential candidates from the Republican primary ballot. 
Second, the state district court flouted the statutory deadlines in Section 1-4-12044, which require a hearing to be held no later than five days after the challenge is filed, and require findings of fact and conclusions of law to issue no later than 48 hours after the hearing. Section 1-4-12044 does not permit the type of ballot challenge brought by the Anderson litigants, which compelled the court to disregard the statutory deadlines in an unsuccessful effort to accommodate the complexity of the evidence and arguments presented. The Colorado Supreme Court praised the district court's efforts to adjudicate this complex section 1-1-113 action, while admitting that the district court had failed to comply with the statutory deadlines. But the district court's procedural Frankenstein did not proceed in the manner directed by the legislature, as the statutory timeline for a section 1-1-113 proceeding does not permit a claim as complex as this one. 6. Section 3 cannot be used to deny President Trump access to the ballot. Section 3 of the 14th Amendment prohibits individuals only from holding office. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States. It does not prevent anyone from running for office or from being elected to office, because Congress can remove a Section 3 disqualification at any time, and Congress can remove that disability after a candidate is elected but before his term begins. This basis alone merits reversal of the Colorado Supreme Court and by prohibiting states from using ballot access restrictions to enforce Section 3, reversal would ensure that Congress retains its authority under Section 3. The Colorado Supreme Court claimed that it has no less authority to exclude President Trump from the ballot than it would a 28-year-old or a foreign national. That is wrong. Congress has no authority to add additional qualifications to the Constitution's age, residency, or natural-born citizenship requirements. Forcing President Trump to prove that he is not disqualified before appearing on the ballot effectively adds a new, extra-constitutional requirement to running for office. But U.S. term limits renders the states powerless to add to or alter the Constitution's qualifications or eligibility criteria for federal officials, and states are equally powerless to exclude federal candidates from the ballot based on state-created qualifications or eligibility criteria not mandated by the Constitution. Even the term limits dissenters acknowledged that states are forbidden from prescribing qualifications for the presidency beyond those specified in the Constitution. And for good reason. The president, unlike members of Congress, represents and is elected by the entire nation, 
and allowing each of the 51 jurisdictions to prescribe and enforce their own qualifications for a nationwide office would be a recipe for bedlam and voter confusion. The Colorado Supreme Court's ruling violates term limits by adding a new qualification for the presidency. It requires that a president be qualified under Section 3 not only on the dates that he holds office, but also on the dates of the primary and general elections, and on whatever date a court renders judgment on his eligibility for the ballot. This is no different from a state enforcing a pre-election residency requirement for congressional or senatorial candidates, when the Constitution requires only that representatives and senators inhabit the state when elected. In each of these situations, a state violates term limits by altering the timing of a constitutionally required qualification for office. Conclusion The petition for writ of certiorari should be granted and the decision of the Colorado Supreme Court summarily reversed. Respectfully submitted, Counsel for Donald J. Trump, January 3, 2024. We've come to the end of this petition. Until next episode, thanks for listening to What SCOTUS Wrote Us.